turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. John's Gospel, chapter 1. John chapter 1. Today I'll be reading one verse, as I'm sure you're familiar with John's first chapter. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. Let's pray together. God of all light and truth, as we open up Your Holy Word, shine light into our hearts and minds. Give us a deeper understanding of the person and work of Jesus Christ. For those who don't know you, Lord, have mercy. Use your word to convict the non-Christian, to convict them of their sin and of their need for a Savior in Jesus. And Lord, we thank you for you took on flesh to ransom us. We long to see you and to behold your glory. We rejoice in Christ our Savior in whose name we pray. Amen. No one knew Jesus like John knew Jesus. No one was closer to Jesus in the days of his ministry than John was. Mary, you say. Well, what about Mary, his mother? Certainly, certainly Mary was close to Jesus. She was, absolutely. But as you read the Gospels, it's as if it's as if Mary was distracted by her maternity, by her motherhood. And so she failed to see and to look behind the veil of her earthly relationship with her son. But not John. John saw Jesus as he truly was and is. He, as he writes here, beheld his glory. No one knew Jesus like John knew Jesus. And I think that that is clearly demonstrated in this gospel and certainly in his revelation. No other gospel is as incisive and as insightful as John's gospel. And this jumps out to us right away in the first chapter, in his prologue, in the first 14 verses of chapter 1. Friends, it is as we say around here, Christmas is about the Christ, about who he is and what he came to accomplish. And John's gospel tells us in no uncertain terms who he is and what he came to accomplish on behalf of sinners like us. Now, why is the person and work of Jesus Christ so important? Look down in your Bibles at that very same chapter, verse 12. Why is the person and work of Jesus Christ so important? So that as many as receive him, John writes, to them he gives the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, born not of flesh and blood, nor by the will of man, but born again, born from above, born of God. And so John tells us, if you look at verse 14, 
He tells us who he is. That is Jesus. He is the eternal word of God. Jesus Christ was with God and he is God. And, and John, he also tells us what he has done and what he came to do. Verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was, in other words, he was truly God and, and he was also truly man. And my question this afternoon for all of us, especially for the non-Christian, here it is. Have you beheld his glory? Have you beheld his glory? He was truly God and he was truly man. Have you then beheld his glory? We sing, come behold the wondrous mystery. Truly God and truly man. Have you, have you beheld him? And there's your outline. Well, firstly then, he was truly God. And you know that John's gospel begins in the beginning. Familiar words. In the beginning was the word. Familiar words. Words that bring us back to the beginning. Back to the book of Genesis. To the dawn of time. And to the creation account. And John is saying that he was there. That our Lord and Savior was there. He is that beginning who spoke the cosmos into existence. Since Genesis, as it were, since the creation account, we have been waiting for this moment. As if it all culminates here in the incarnation of the Creator in the fullness of time. This Word, this Son of God, this Jesus, the Christ, this Christ, who has life in himself. Look at verse 4. In him was life. This Christ, he was the life giver, the author of life. He created all of it. Verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. He, beloved, was with God, and he, beloved, was and is God, truly and completely God. Timeless and transcendent before the beginning. The ancient of days. The very God of very God. You see, John, John knew who he was. Do you? Do you know him? We sing, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail, incarnate deity. You see, John looked behind the veil. And so must we. If we don't look behind the veil, we will not see, nor will we behold his glory. Friends, he is, he is not a prophet as Muhammad taught. He is not some kind of moral exemplar as the secularists teach, or some kind of spiritual guide as the agnostic teaches. In his short essay, titled, What Are We to Make of Jesus? C.S. Lewis writes this, If you had gone to Buddha and asked him, Are you the son of Brahma? You would have said, You are still in the veil of illusion. If you had gone to Socrates and asked, Are you Zeus? 
He would have laughed at you. If you had gone to Muhammad and asked, Are you Allah? He would have tore his clothes and then he would have cut off your head. Lewis's point was that Jesus himself did not claim that he was merely a prophet or some kind of spiritual guide or moral exemplar. No, he was incarnate God, the Son of God, truly God, and completely God. And the people who knew him best, John in this case, John says that he was and is the eternal word who was with God and who is God. He is the creator, the eternal and timeless one who was there in the beginning. John's prologue introduces us to Jesus Christ in a way where it is clear that he is God incarnate. This is what and who Christmas is all about. Jesus the Christ. But friends, there's more. He is more. He is more. John says, right there in verse 14, this word, this eternal word became flesh. Secondly then, he was and is truly man. He was truly God and truly man. But John says right here, he says flesh. The word became flesh. Now, why not say, uh, why not say the Son of God became the Son of Man? Well, perhaps John said flesh to emphasize to us just how far he traveled. Perhaps John said flesh to highlight the infinite distance between divinity and humanity, between the infinite and the finite. One of the mysteries, one of the mysteries of Christianity is the mystery of the incarnation. One of these great Christian mysteries is how infinite God could dwell in finite flesh, how omnipotence could be circumscribed by a body. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. For in him dwells all of the fullness of the Godhead bodily. This is one of the great mysteries of the Christian faith. This is word become flesh. This eternal, infinite, transcendent God comes down and bridges this immeasurable gap. He condescends and, and he becomes what he was not. All while remaining what he always was, truly and completely God. But now, now, truly and completely man. Remaining all that he was, but now taking upon himself what we are. And beloved, flesh means weakness, you understand. It means frailty. Flesh means smallness. It means, as you well know, hunger and thirst. It means grief. Flesh means pain and sorrow. He who occupies all space and time took upon himself our smallness, our littleness. And so real 
So real was his flesh. So real was that flesh, that humanity, that it could die. It could be killed. This flesh could be crucified. John says that that he became flesh and looked down there and dwelt. He dwelt among us. Now, some of you know that this is tabernacle language. When Israel was in the wilderness, God made his dwelling place among the people a tent, a tabernacle. What the Torah refers to as the tent of meeting. And it was Moses, you remember, from our study of Numbers and the Pentateuch, it was Moses, you remember, who would go into the tent of meeting to meet with God face to face. And Exodus 34 tells us that whenever he came out, out from the tent to speak with the people of Israel, you remember his face shone. It reflected the glory of God and the presence of God that was in the tabernacle, in the tent of meeting. But here, here in John chapter 1, in verse 14, it's the other way around, isn't it? Here it's reversed. We don't go into the tabernacle to be in the presence of glory. But but it's that the glory comes out to us. The glory comes out to us to dwell with us out of the tabernacle and into the world. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, beloved, He came to us to our world, to the world that he created, so that we, as we pick up in verse 14, might behold his glory. John is saying he was glorious. We beheld him in that glory. We beheld his glory. And I I don't think John is simply referring to the transfiguration or even to his ministry of miracles, his glory. But what I think he means, what I think John means by beholding his glory is unpacked in the rest of his gospel. But more specifically, in this prologue to his gospel, I think John is saying that the beauty and glory of Jesus Christ lies It lies in the tension between the eternal world of light where the seraphs and the angels worship before the throne. John is saying that the glory lies in the tension between that world and this world. Between the majestic throne room of God, spotless and pure, and this dirty, dark sinful ball of dust. The glory lies between the almighty throne room of God and the weak, lowly, virgin womb. The glory lies in this, that infinite, almighty, transcendent God who knows all, who possesses all things, who occupies all space and time, who created all, who put the stars in their place and determines their trajectory. This one came to a virgin's womb. This one, he took upon himself the weakness of our flesh. And that, beloved, is glorious. 
We use that word, glorious. We use it regularly to refer to places or to things and even to people. It, it was glorious, we say. The, the panoramic views from that peak, they were glorious. Or perhaps you've heard this, a bride on her wedding day. We say, she's beautiful. She is, she is glorious. Now, just think with me a little deeper. Just think with me for a second. As we think about this tension, the glory lies in the tension. Imagine with me, if you will, a beautiful, poised, and confident woman in the prime of her life. Imagine, imagine her then in a devastated, broken down ghetto slum, a flavella, if you will. And she is there to help, to serve, and to offer herself to others in their need. As beautiful as, as she may be, track with me now, her glory, her glory is most clearly seen. It is most manifest in her willingness to stoop down. Her glory and beauty are seen then in the tension. So that through and through, with that image, her beauty is seen both inside and outside. She is truly beautiful, truly glorious. And it is her beauty, it is her beauty that beautifies the ugliness and the devastation that is all around her. You see, beloved, this is what John saw in Jesus. And the greater the stooping, the greater the condescending, the greater the beauty and glory that is on display. It was when the angels beheld infinite, transcendent, almighty God, it was when they who once beheld him on the throne, eyes covered, feet covered, flying around, crying out, holy, holy, holy. It was when they beheld him as flesh, as a child, swaddled and in the arms of a sinner, surrounded by animals and in a dirty barn. This, beloved, is when they saw a glory that they had not seen or known up to that point. And thus they cried out, Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace and goodwill towards men. Gloria in excelsis Deo. A divine beauty that beautifies the ugliness of a fallen and sinful world. John says, verse 5, a light that shines in the darkness. Into a world of sin and death comes life. Light and life. This is the picture that John paints for the rest of his gospel. And he says, we beheld his glory. Now, 
There is a glory in the incarnation, no doubt. But there is another glory in this chapter. In John's Gospel, chapter 1, there is another glory. And friends, there is also another John. There are two Johns in John chapter 1. There is John the Apostle, the author of the Gospel. And then there is, as you know, John the Baptizer, otherwise known as John the Baptist. And it is the Baptist who draws our attention to another beholding, to another glory. Look at verse 29 of chapter 1. John says of Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The sin of the world. John the Baptist is here pointing us not to the glory of the incarnation, but to the glory of the crucifixion. Not to his birth, but to his sacrificial death. Again, again, his death now, his death highlights the tension. The life giver, life himself, dies. It is in this tension where the glory of Jesus Christ is most clearly seen. And this is where we must behold him if we are to see and know the glory of God. And so we go from one degree of glory to another, from glory to glory, as it were. And let me say again, there there is a certain glory that can be seen and is manifest in the incarnation. A glory that, that we behold in the tension where infinite God takes upon himself the weakness of flesh. But, but there is another glory that is seen and manifest in his crucifixion. A glory that we behold in the tension where omnipotent, eternal God dies. Where he dies in the weakness of flesh. It is here at the cross where his humanity is most on display. And where the glory of Christ is most clearly seen. Just as in our illustration. We behold her beauty and her glory as she beautifies others. So also, so also does our Lord and Savior show his glory and beauty by dying as a sacrificial lamb for others. And this is exactly what Paul does. You remember this verse, Philippians chapter This is exactly what Paul does. In Philippians 2, Paul goes from infinite God to incarnate God-man. And then he goes from incarnate God-man. He takes us from incarnation to the crucifixion. Listen to Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself. He made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. There it is. There's a tension there and a glory to be seen in the tension. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself. And here's another tension. 
and he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. You see, the beauty and glory of the person of Jesus Christ, of the God-man, is most clearly and most plainly manifest in the tension. When Almighty God becomes man in his condescending, in his coming down, And just when we think, just when we think he can't condescend more, he can't, from the eternal world of heaven to a dirty barn, from the embrace of his father into the arms of a sinful woman, just when we thought he could could not go lower, he goes even lower and he condescends even more to the point of death, Paul says, even the death of the cross. And that, all of that, for you, for us. Friends, these two beholdings in John 1, the incarnation and the cross, these are doors, beloved that swing wide open so that we might behold the glory and beauty of Christ. The first door, His incarnation. The Word become flesh, dwelt among us. And the second door, His crucifixion. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And my question for every non-Christian today is, have you beheld him have you beheld him have you seen the glory of god in the person and work of jesus christ truly god and truly man incarnate and crucified the word became flesh why did he do it to seek and save the lost that is glorious and And the Word was crucified to accomplish in His person and work the salvation that He offers you today. That is glorious. And so have you beheld Him? Again, verse 12 of John's Gospel, chapter 1. Have you beheld Him? Because as many as receive Him, to them, to you, I pray, He gave the right to become children of God. It is in the person and work of Jesus Christ where you see and know God and where you will receive His grace. He is the Son of God, the only begotten, and He is full, full of grace and truth. Verse 14. It is in this beholding that you will be transformed and born again. You see, beloved, Christmas is not something that we just celebrate. But listen, listen, Christmas is, it's not something that we merely celebrate. But friends, Christmas is something that happens to you. There's a Christmas hymn that I've been listening to on repeat. It's a particular line stood out to me this year. There's usually one hymn that that catches my ear every year, and I just put it on repeat. But there's one line that stood out to me this year. 
And perhaps you're familiar with this hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Now listen to this. In the fourth stanza, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sins and enter in. And here's the line that that stood out. Be born in us today. Be born in us today. I hope and pray that you will not merely celebrate Christmas this year. But I pray that Christmas be in you. And as you give and receive gifts this year, I pray that you receive Christ into your heart. Look to Christ and put your full trust in Him. Come behold the wondrous mystery. He the theme of heaven's praises, robed in frail humanity. Come behold the wondrous mystery. Christ the Lord upon the tree in the stead of ruined sinners, hangs, hangs the Lamb in victory. Let's come to God in prayer. Holy and gracious God, we come before you now confessing our sins. We We are sinful and in great need of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give us second birth. And you and you alone can be the Savior. For you alone are truly God and truly man. Completely in your person. And also completely Man, completely God and completely man, so that you might mediate on our behalf before our Heavenly Father. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Only you could have absorbed the fullness of God's wrath on that cross because of your infinite person. And only you could have been the perfect sacrifice because you came into this world as a perfect man, as a substitute for sinners like us. And so we look not only to the incarnation and to the crucifixion, but also to your glorious resurrection. What a foretaste of deliverance. How unwavering our hope. Christ in power resurrected as we will be when he comes. This is our hope in the Christmas season and in all of life. Glory to God. Glory to God in the highest. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.